First, a quick note before we get into the episode. We'll be answering listener questions throughout the season, so please submit any questions for our team of experts to podcast at ivywise.com. Thanks for tuning in, and now for the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Semester 5, Episode 6 of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the higher ed landscape. I'm Robin, college admissions counselor at Ivy Wise and former senior assistant director of admission at Georgetown University and Vanderbilt. And joining me today are my friends and fellow Ivy Wise colleagues, Lorenza and Nikki from our executive functioning team. In this episode, we're going to share some insight on how high school students can develop executive functioning skills and practice self-care during the college application process. So to start, uh, let's explain maybe to our listeners what executive functioning actually is. Sure, I would love to jump in. So executive functioning is really defined as the management system of the brain. So it is really a group of skills that let us set goals, plan ahead and complete any task that you set out to complete. So these skills are really crucial, not only to succeeding in school, but really in everyday life, because they allow us to pay attention, to regulate our emotions, to self-monitor and to understand um, different points of view. So another way to really think about executive functioning is by asking yourself, how can I go about doing what I have decided to do? So executive functioning is um, has many different dimensions. It's not only one thing, but it has many different dimensions and it encompasses a lot of many different abilities. Some of those abilities include your working memory, your ability to pay attention, your ability to regulate your emotions, your flexibility, your ability to plan, to control your impulses, um, and to monitor yourself and to initiate. So the way I see executive functioning skills is the coaching for executive functioning skills is similar to doing cardio and strength training in an athlete. So if you were to be a cross-country runner, that runner has to do stretching and strengthening and cardio work to enable in order to be successful in the races once the season starts. So the role of executive functioning is that cardio and strength training before the race. The more time and effort you the student devotes to learning these skills, the more successful they can be later on. It's a really important foundation and it's really critical that they develop this foundation um, as, as early as possible in their schooling career. It is also important to point out that students who have not developed these skills can feel a lot of stress and anxiety and feel overwhelmed with the amount of work they have. So it's really important to to develop these skills as soon as they as, as soon as possible. That's a really good definition. I love that for what executive functioning skills are. And if it's feeling a little bit abstract, even just thinking about everything that you've done today, did you set an alarm to wake up? How did you prepare to make your breakfast? How did you go on your commute, right? All of those pieces, everything that you have to do to get through your day, that's where executive functioning is happening kind of as an adult. So I, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna follow that up. Um, given all of that background information, what are ways that students can start developing their exec executive functioning skills earlier in high school before they even get to the college admissions process? Well, I think you can really start developing those skills since childhood by being encouraged to take on appropriate amounts of responsibility for your age. Um, the way I like to teach executive functioning skills when they're younger is to give them chores that they can see as a whole. So, for example, you're going to be the kitchen cleaner today. 
So you don't tell a child, okay, get all the dirty dishes, now scrape them, now put them in the sink, now put them in the dishwasher, but you tell them to see it as a whole so that they can become the person that actually breaks down the task into little tasks. So the the parent should really try to avoid breaking down things for them so that they don't become the student's frontal lobe. What we're trying to encourage is for the for for the student to develop their own frontal lobe and their own planning ability. So instead of breaking things down for them, it's really important that the parents um, have their student develop develop this ability by asking them, you know, what is your plan and how do you think that you can get this done so that they can learn how to break things up instead of you telling them what to do each step of the way. I think also, um, you know, executive functioning skills are really important since elementary school, but high school work really demands a lot of executive functioning skills and, and they have to be really, really strong in order to be able to get good grades in, in high school. So it's really important to also develop um, these executive functioning skills as well as really strong study skills and know how to effectively study for each class. And even when you think about when a student is in middle school or freshman year of high school and they're assigned an essay, right? This is the difference between saying, oh, I'll write that essay later this week and sitting down and thinking, okay, what is my thesis gonna be? How can I create an outline? How can I make sure this is done effectively? And so those skills can really start, you know, as soon as they're in school in these different ways. And I love that example, Lorenzo, with the chores that are age appropriate. And even outside of school, they can start developing them with extracurriculars, with a part-time job. Um, and something that Lorenza and I do with students is create calendars for planning things in advance. So I know Lorenza sometimes likes to break down separate areas into different calendars, like extracurriculars, schoolwork, college application and putting all the dates in separate places so it's not too overwhelming. And then week by week, really going through and thinking about where do we want to spend our time? Because there's a lot of prioritizing all of these different commitments. Yeah, I like to work on creating a master Google Calendar so that we can plan the year and then the semester, the week, and then the day by day. Especially, for example, like junior students and sophomore students that have a lot of AP exams, I want to make sure that they know when those AP exams are and they can have them in their calendar so that they're not surprised in April that they have the exam in, in, in two weeks. So I like to, to first plan out the year and then break it down into what's going on for the year, then what's going on for the semester, and then divide it up for the month and the week, and then we just focus on the day to day. So. Um, it's also in this calendar, we would include the AP test, the deadlines for extracurricular activities, the SAT dates, just so that we have one place where we can have all the dates um, that we need. And then we focus week by week and we create a calendar so that they can see Basically, I like to think about it as what is their supply of time and then what is the what are the various commitments that are demanding their time. So I think it's really important for students to be able to see their week and see where are the chunks of time that they have and then what activities are demanding their time and how are they going to fit those into the, the chunks of time that represent their supply of time. So when they are able to see their supply and the demand for time, they can make a plan of how to how to use those chunks of time and what they want to accomplish on in each of them. I know for parents who are also kind of new to the world of executive functioning skills and thinking about how to help 
their children learn it. We do also have other podcasts we've recorded about sort of that transition from middle school into high school and even developing the skills at that point. So it might be helpful to hear those as well. As far as the executive functioning skills go, is there any difference between the skills that they're utilizing during high school and skills that they need to use as they're in the, especially for seniors, as they're in the midst of completing college applications? Um, I don't think that they are different. I think the executive functioning skills that you set out in the beginning of high school are the foundation. And then it just gets harder and harder. Um, like your executive functioning skills just keep getting stronger and stronger. So it's almost like version 2.0. So it's not that they're different. It's just that they get built on, 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 on the foundation that you hopefully already have before junior year. So if that foundation is still shaky, then the junior year is like really, really critical time to work on those skills so that, so that you can have a college application process that is not too overwhelming. Um, like Nikki was saying, I like to divide up the chart so that they don't feel overwhelmed. So the academic um, chart would include the classes and the homeworks and essays that they need to write and how we can break those down. And then we also have another chart for managing the extracurricular activities, like how, what is the status on this particular activity? Do I need to talk to somebody? What steps need to be taken? By when do I need to take those steps? And then the application process would be uh, another chart that they can that they can manage and then all those dates would go in the master calendar so that they feel that in that master calendar they have all the dates that they need to pay attention to a lot of these tips to me sound like they are also you know designed with the intention of alleviating the stress that that students experience just trying to manage all of their activities, uh, assignments, uh, applications, if, if they're seniors and, and things like that. Um, and before I know at some point, we'll probably share some, some tips about how to you know, reduce stress during the college application process. But I'm curious to you know, learn from both of you, um, what role does self-care play in uh, executive functioning skills? Self-care plays a very, very big role. Um, when our self-care isn't there, we're pretty much unable to do other things that are really important. So if we have not been sleeping, if we have not been eating a balanced diet, if we're really dehydrated, right? All of those things actually impact how our brain functions and makes executive functioning even harder. So for teenagers, right, in high school, they're often staying up really late, whether that's with friends or working on homework. I think that as much as possible, getting a routine in place makes a really big difference. Um, and finding that balance for parents between kind of enforcing that routine and letting them make their own mistakes and recognize the impact. Um, and when we talk about self-care, I know that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. And so that can be the fun things like spending time with friends and getting to go to the movies or taking breaks. And it's also those really important things like doing laundry so you have clean clothing, getting enough sleep. Um, so it can be a really hard balance to make the space for the self-care, but you're not going to be able to use executive functioning skills if it's not there. I agree completely. And I think also if you don't take care of yourself and you have any kind of anxiety because things are not going well, the anxiety is almost 
like an enemy of executive functioning. So when you have anxiety, it's really, really difficult to per perform these executive functioning abilities. So um, having strong executive functioning skills to begin with will prevent the anxiety from preventing those executive functioning skills from working for you. I know when it comes to just the college application process, um, just the students that I work with and have worked with over the years, there's certainly a lot of anxiety surrounding the just the logistics of, of the process. And so I think both of you have offered such good suggestions in terms of the planning out um, and, and creating calendars and, and, and whatnot, and the important role that that does play in alleviating stress. And, you know, just very basic things that I always share with, with my students is, you know, reminding them that they can and they absolutely should start working on their applications the summer before their senior year actually begins and to create a timeline for completing the applications, the essays and, and whatnot, just to have that visual, like you were describing Lorenza, of what they need to complete in a particular day and what their you know, goal is to complete by the end of that week. I also like to recommend to students and, and parents for that matter that they designate certain days of the week and even certain time frames within that day to focus on conversations about the college application process. Um, I'm always, uh, I, I feel for students when I'm, you know, sometimes out at a restaurant or I might be on an airplane and I overhear conversations between an adult and a, a teenager and it's solely focused on college apps and well, what do you want to major in? Where do you want to go? And they're getting those questions all of the time. And so I think it can be really healthy, um, especially in the home environment to just designate a particular day you know, half an hour, and that's when you talk about it. And then the rest of the time is focused on those other aspects of, of their life. I also like to recommend to students um, and suggest that they can keep their application uh, list, the list of schools, as well as their, you know, if they do have an early application strategy or um, plan, they, they can keep that, you know, to themselves um, or just share, you know, share it within their family versus talking to all of their peers about it. Um, I know that's easier said than done though because of social media and, and how students like to share. But over the years, I have had um, some students who have chosen to just keep that very private between them and their family. And they told me that that helped them sort of maintain their, their own sense of um, sanity, so to speak, during um, that, that process. And then, you know, speaking of social media, I also think that it can be really helpful for students to take a break from social media sites that can really induce the anxiety about the college application process um, in the sense that they can lead to a student, uh, you know, engaging in self-doubt or second guessing um, where they're applying. You know, I'm thinking of websites like College Confidential and different Reddit threads and, and things like that. So I find myself sometimes saying to students, you know, if you're if you're finding that your your blood pressure is increasing as you're reading uh, those sites, that probably means you need to take a break from them. Um, and so those are just a few things that that I like to share with students. Um, but I'd love to hear from both of you, you know, other ideas for how students can, you know, just reduce stress um, throughout the school year. 
Yes, I think I think just like the feeling of having a plan and to see that visual plan in front of you, I think really kind of like reduces your blood pressure that you know what you're supposed to do each day. So I think that's one of the things that that um, that I would recommend. But I also think that parents um, should also try to avoid, you know, getting wrapped into the admissions process in a way that it stresses the the students and them. So it's really important that what you what you mentioned about the conversations, you know, to keep them to a certain day and a time limit. I think that's important for the students and also for the parents because you know, being a mother myself and and having children have, you know, going through the process and having gone through the process, I think it's important not not only to take care of them but also to take care of yourself and not get wrapped up in the anxiety of the admissions in the admissions process. So in as much as you need to take care of the students' needs, you also need to take care of the parents' needs and and make sure that they don't feel the stress that you're that you're feeling so it doesn't get out of control. Yeah. The college application process is really often a family endeavor and everyone has to use their executive functioning skills. Everyone has to work on reducing the stress. And I think in the same way you know, with a child, if you're assigning a chore, it wouldn't be, you know, to do something really big, like you need to go to the store and make a full meal if they're seven years old, right? We can't say to a teenager, you need to plan out every step of your future for the rest of your life, which sometimes the language can kind of be surrounding the college application process. And that adds a lot of pressure and stress and anxiety and kind of might push them over the threshold of where their executive functioning skills are. So really making sure that when we talk about college, it's about college. It's not necessarily, this is the path that's going to guide you the rest of your life, because that adds a lot of anxiety. Yes. And I I really like your idea about keeping your college list to yourself. And I think it's good for the students to do that. And it's good for the parents to do that, because I think Parents also are comparing notes with other parents. Where are your child applying to? Kids are doing it. So I think as a family, I think it's a good idea to keep that conversation to yourself. I mean, I'm, I, I've asked other people, you know, why are you thinking about applying to? And they say, we have a list of schools and we're not sharing it. And I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a totally valid way to, to do it. And I think it, it reduces the anxiety for sure. So I think it's a, it's a great advice. And I, I also really like, Robin, that you brought up the role of social media in this process, because even with apps like TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, people sometimes share where they're planning to apply. People share when they've been accepted early, and it can create a lot of pressure. Um, and even though it's really, really hard, part of self-care often is taking breaks from social media or checking it during times of the day where you know you're less likely to be stressed. So not right before bed, not right before working on a college application. Yeah, exactly. Those, those videos that students, you know, make where they're, you know, it's in real time and they're getting their admissions decision. Um, I mean, it's wonderful to see students celebrating like that. But then my alternative thought whenever I see those is, okay, but at the same time, there's a student who's not getting the the news that they were hoping for right um and i just think back to you know many years ago (laughs) when i applied to college and i was just waiting to get you know 
either the thin letter or the thick package in the mail <laughs> to find out mm -hmm. uh, my admissions decision. But now, I mean, it's it's instantaneous. They get them online, and then immediately, you know, students are sharing results with um, friends and family. But the, to the extent that they are able to just keep it private, you know, certainly their counselor at their school is informed of things, but. I think that, yeah, I can't emphasize that point enough to just, you know, work when possible. And if the family's comfortable with it, just making that your family's, you know, um, experience versus everyone else's out there on social media. Yeah. And I think also like keep the conversation, um, you know, positive and, and focus on how far you've done and what a great effort you have done during this application process instead of just focusing on the demands and what needs to get done also kind of like reinforce the positive effort that has been set forth and 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 to make sure that you get breaks and and rewards like let's go to lunch and celebrate that you have turned one application in or something so that so that you feel that you know that it's not an uphill battle all the time but that you're celebrating the small achievements absolutely and research has shown us time and time again that the most effective way to get any person to do anything is through positive reinforcement. So even if it's just saying, I'm going to get to go on Instagram once I finish this, you know, part of the common app, or I get to go out with friends after this, I get a Hershey's kiss after this, whatever it is to kind of positively reinforce yourself, that is going to just keep making it easier and easier long-term to use these skills and reduce the chance of burnout. Yeah, I think burnout is a is a really big risk. And I think another way to avoid burnout is also to make sure that you're exercising regularly, that you're doing cardio work, that you're getting all of this anxiety out through exercise. It's it's really important so that so that you don't get mentally burned out and, and feeling because a, a lot of the kids, I think when they're really burned out, they just go into avoidance mode. And if you go into avoidance mode during the application process, that could be really dangerous. Yeah. And so kind of making yourself have that self-care in a way that isn't overwhelming and more stress on your plate. I'm a big fan of people using daily journaling apps or daily meditation apps, even if it's just five minutes a day to help feel a little bit more calm, that can go a long way with preventing burnout. Yeah. Note, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, no, go ahead. interrupt you, but I'm just sort of on that note, I often will hear students say something to the effect of, oh, well, I just work better under stress <laughs> or I do my best work, you know, last minute, I'm sure two, two of you have heard similar things, but I'm curious, what, what are some, maybe even just physical signs that, uh, you know, a student might experience when they are sort of hitting that point of, you know, I don't want to say breaking point, but the point where they need to hit the pause button and, and, and engage in, you know, a five minute break or, you know, engage in some mindfulness. Um, what are some signs that they can maybe know that they should look for um, in that regard? I think, I think one of the signs is how you're feeling emotionally. Like how is, like, is your, you know, some physical signs, for example, like, are you starting to get like a tight back? Are you starting to have like, you know, butterflies on your stomach? Like physical um, traits that would tell you that anxiety is 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 rising and that you need to take a break and um, and do something else 
or, 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 you know, like listen to music or something to try to relax yourself because working under anxiety is not really productive. And, and like I mentioned before, executive functioning and anxiety are kind of like opposites of each other. So the more anxiety you have, the less, the less executive functioning you can actually do. Yeah. Even just having anxiety going on is almost like multitasking if you're doing anything and feeling anxious and we know we're less productive when we multitask. So I think that with my students, I'll often recommend, you know, based on who they are and what they know about themselves, set a timer for every 30 minutes or every 45 minutes to take a five or 10 minute break. And during that time, you can kind of do a body scan and see is my jaw really tense right now? Is my neck tense? Is my shoulder, my back? Am I shaking my leg, bouncing really hard? Have I forgotten to eat for a long time, right? Checking in with your body on those things can be a good sign. And there are sort of some common thoughts that I see when students are approaching this burnout place of, you know, I would do anything for a snow day. I hope the school loses power, like <laughs> desperate to just have a break, whatever that could look like which is usually a sign that there's too much on your plate. Yes, I agree. But I think um, I think the fact that you can um, have a calendar, have a plan, focus on each chunk of time and, and saying, what am I going to accomplish with this chunk of time? And then reward yourself after you have accomplished that goal. Take a break, um, get some exercise make sure that you get enough rest, but like be conscious of the, of the fact that you can go into burnout mode. So, so have very clear objectives for what, how you want to use your time, but then also reward yourself and be, be on the lookout to make sure that you're not reaching the burnout point. So it really takes a lot of self-knowledge and, and the ability to know those signs and to, and to know what works for you. It could be for one student, it could be like playing a game of chess for 20 minutes. That could be like the reward. And for other, for another child, it could be like going to get a snack and having a cup of coffee or going out for a walk. So whatever it is, the way that you can decompress, I think it's really important to know yourself and to know when you're reaching that limit and know that you're not going to be very productive if you just keep going when the anxiety is so high. Yes. Or if when you take a break from studying, the strategy is to just go on social media. It can be really tempting, but we want to use breaks to really recharge our batteries. So those are things that are really a part of self-care um, and kind of zoning out and relaxing definitely can be, but it's way harder to get back into work mode after that. So I really recommend doing things like deep breathing, stretching, calling a friend, talking to a family member, getting some food, things that really make us feel recharged more than kind of zone out and avoid the stress. So for students who maybe have not quite yet, you know, fully formed their executive functioning skills, um, are there resources on college campuses that students might look to if they are finding that they're having some difficulty managing, you know, a college course load and the fact that they have to have more, you know, self accountability and whatnot. Where would you like, where would you direct students, um, college students who are, you know, maybe struggling in that regard? 
Um, I think every every college is offering offers you know some resources for this, but I feel like executive functioning skills in college are a whole different ballgame from executive functioning skills in high school. Like in college, nobody's really holding your hands. Like the teachers just give you a syllabus in the beginning of the year. This is when your midterms are going to be, and that's it. If you miss a midterm, you can't make it up. So it's it's really important that those executive functioning skills are really, really well set before the kid, um, before the student um, enters college. And I think in some of the colleges, they have, um, for example, a center of like learning to learn where they were their counselors that actually provide this kind of executive functioning skills. So I think, you know, I think it's really important to contact student services and see what are the departments and what are the resources where where they can get this kind of help in case they arrive at college and they still feel that their executive functioning abilities are a little shaky. Yeah. And that transition from high school to college is so extreme in all of these different areas where suddenly you might need to be doing meal planning and you have to have more executive functioning skills with planning friendships and spending time with people. And I I do think that often part of what gets in the way with those skills can even be things unrelated. So if you're feeling a little bit more sad or it's harder to motivate with this transition, going to the school counseling center could actually make a really big difference. And I think one of the great things about, you know, the internet being what it is right now is there are also so many online resources. If you go on YouTube and type in you know, strategies for executive functioning in college, I'm sure you'll find a multitude of options or different apps or different people you could meet with virtually. Um, so even if you do go to a smaller school with a little bit more limited resources, you still have options. Okay, and that just wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to Just Admit It. You can catch up on all our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions landscape. In our next episode, we're going to share some insight on what Alt-Ivies are like. So if you have any questions about alternatives to the Ivy League schools, please email them to us at podcast at ivywise.com so that we can try to address your most pressing questions. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more higher ed resources. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye.